After eight long years in which the country literally went through hell, the so-called civil war in Libya could, just maybe, be reaching its conclusion. The Libyan people have lent their support to the anti-terrorist cleansing operation taking place in and around Tripoli, conducted by tribal militias allied with General Khalifa Haftar's Libyan National Army. In this episode of Newsreel, we interview an American couple who witnessed firsthand the so-called Libyan Revolution, in 2011. Frequent visitors to Libya, James and Joanne Moriarty were working in its oil industry when NATO forces, allied with tens of thousands of hired jihadists, invaded the country. Invited by an international NGO to participate in a fact-finding mission, the Moriartys travelled throughout Libya, observing and documenting events, and witnessing numerous unspeakable atrocities. After barely escaping Libya with their lives when the so-called rebels placed them on a kill list and imprisoned them at a torture centre, the Moriarty's finally made it back to the US with bodies and evidence intact, only to discover that their troubles had barely begun. With a network of contacts in Libya and having built strong rapport with Libyan tribal and community leaders, the Moriarty's have been one of the few sources of information about what has actually taken place inside that country. They have, on numerous occasions, offered to share what they know with US government and intelligence officials, but have been met with systematic stonewalling, false promises, and outright harassment. The Moriarty's have always maintained that the attack on the US consulate in Benghazi on September 11, 2012, was an inside job, undertaken, perhaps, for the primary purpose of eliminating the U.S. ambassador to Libya, Chris Stevens. Investigation into what took place there remains murky to this day, underscored by the fact that this facility was not even a consulate to begin with, and that an even more classified compound nearby was also attacked that night. Officially, the attack on the Benghazi diplomatic post and a nearby CIA compound called the Annex which resulted in the deaths of four Americans, was carried out by Islamist extremists who were upset at the online publication of a video which insulted the Prophet Muhammad. Stevens, as you may recall, officially died by accident from smoke inhalation after the diplomatic compound was set on fire. But there is clearly much more to the Battle of Benghazi than has ever been officially acknowledged. Ostensibly, Stevens was tasked with overseeing the retrieval and destruction of tens of thousands of man-pad, shoulder-held, surface-to-air missile launchers pilfered from Libyan arsenals during the chaos of the NATO bombardment. Coincidentally, Glenn Doherty, one of the CIA contractors killed at the Annex that night after he flew in from Tripoli to defend American diplomatic staff from the attack, had been speaking with US ABC News up to a year before the attack, about his own involvement in this arms retrieval mission. Whether or not these men were doing what they say they were doing, it has since been established by Seymour Hirsch and others that, at the same time, other US and Western intelligence operatives and contractors were actively working at a cross-purpose, facilitating the sale and transfer of such weapons, both into Libya and then on to Syria, where weapons and so-called rebels began massing in mid to late 2011.
Now, we don't know what these men were reporting to their superiors in the State Department and the CIA, but it's not difficult to imagine that conflicting orders about the proliferation of weapons would produce a clash of interests in a country awash with militias and weapons. Whether or not there was premeditation on the part of their superiors, there was certainly premeditation on the part of the attackers that night. A fact that the Obama administration lied about for a whole month afterwards, insisting that a protest had simply spilled over from Egypt and thus implying that Stevens and Doherty, along with Sean Smith and Tyrone Woods, were collateral damage from blowback. The Benghazi attack was rapidly politicised in the US with multiple congressional hearings seeking to expose Hillary Clinton's and the Obama government's knowledge of what took place and, of course, getting nowhere. The reason for this is likely because they really didn't know much more than what everyone else was told about it through intelligence leaks to the media. Since then, the media has made very heavy weather of casting any light on the murky events in Benghazi. A little ray of light almost got through the information blockade when CBS's 60 Minutes in 2013 interviewed a British mercenary whose employer, British security company Blue Mountain, was contracted with providing with security for US diplomats in Benghazi. But he was quickly discredited, his real name outed, CBS retracted his eyewitness account, and he was forced to disappear. If they were doing what they are supposed to be doing, journalists would by now have contacted the Moriarty's or at least listened to their interviews on independent media. Back in 2014, James and Joanne were interviewed on The Power Hour by Joyce Riley. On it, they introduced a Libyan eyewitness who lived across the street from the so-called consulate in Benghazi and who provided valuable information about what really took place that night. You'll find a link in the description below to longer versions of the interview. But for our purposes here, I've extracted what I found to be his most important statements on the Benghazi attack. Have a listen. I, I lived across the street, okay? So I, I can see the activities going on. I, I think it was a, a center of operations because I, uh, occasionally I saw Americans, uh, operators, what do you call them, agents, American agents, yes, going out from the buildings and riding, uh, driving Libyan cars with Libyan blades. So they were uh, uh, in disguise, you know. They were not uh, clarifying themselves. Okay, there were no U.S. embassy plates on their vehicles then? No, 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 been... no, no, absolutely not. Okay. They were using Libyan plates. After the first uh, light attack, on the embassy, two cars came out rushing from inside the embassy, which has American agents on them, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they evacuated the, the embassy, but I don't know why they left Chris Stevens behind. It was illogical to me. Uh, I was, I was in, the, uh, in the supermarket next to my house. Uh, they called me from home. My 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 uh, family called me from home, and they they told me that uh, something is happening to the to the American compound. I came rushing. It was only a one minute drive or something like that. I came rushing. Uh, I saw the the consulate already under siege. Uh, they were dressing weird, the Afghani dress, 
I, 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 I overheard some weird accents coming to my house. Uh, and then it, it was just, at first it was just, uh, you know, a light attack. They had AK-47s and uh, and nothing uh, you know n no heavy weapons they Strange were talking accents. arabs but oh. w not with our libyan accent oh okay arab without a libyan accent which told you they were not people from libya and you yes. said afghani dress that people yes, were yes Af afghani dress all of them were were wearing afghani dress coming through the streets of my house i encountered the two vehicles of the embassy uh, coming out of the embassy during this uh, siege. It was not, uh, uh, I mean, uh, the, 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 because the, you know, because the, the compound had two doors, they came from the other door. So they were obviously safe, you know. They came out, and I expected that they evacuated the compound, but they didn't. Uh, as, a, as later uh, sh uh, shown, Mm -hmm. uh, so the attack started, uh, first it was a light attack by AK-47s and light uh, weapons. Uh, the, the Libyan guards were fighting uh, for their lives with the, with the attackers and then they retreated. Uh, after the, light, the first light attack, they retreated and they, uh, they bought, the, the whole neighborhood was under siege. They, they blocked the roads and they didn't uh, let any civilian go inside the whole neighborhood and they didn't let anyone go out uh, and then they, the, the, the second attack started with RBGs, heavy weapons, uh, anti-aircraft machine guns, everything, you name it they were starting to shoot uh, the compound, uh, the Libyan guards fled, fled uh, and then uh, they got inside, inside the, the compound. The first light attack, the, the, this was w their, their story. The light attack, they're calling it a protest, the, the extremists. They said that we are coming as a protest, and then they started to shoot at us. You know, it was, it was an act. The light attack, the first light attack, it was an act like a protest. So when the Libyan guards shoot back, because the, the extremists shot first, obviously, uh, they retreated and they called the, uh, the rest of the group. It was an act. They got inside and they killed everyone. They, they, they even killed a cook, a Sudani cook. You didn't uh, hear this in, on, the, on the news. Hakim, you said that two cars sped away prior to this killing. Two cars mm -hmm. with um, uh, Libyan plates on them sped away uh, no plates uh, they were armored cars oh armored cars that sped away yes. so yes. in the event they had wanted to save the ambassador they could have put him in the armored vehicle and taken him away correct yes they had a very good uh, decent uh, time window yeah if they wanted to uh, get Chris Stevens out they had the, a very good uh, window of time to do it in the meantime, one individual, Abu Katala, described in media reports at the time as the, quote, mastermind of Benghazi, was renditioned from Libya in 2014 to the United States, tried in a U.S. court, and sentenced 
last year in 2018, to 22 years in prison. He was not, however, found guilty of murdering any of the Americans killed in the attack. Bizarrely, the trial established that Abu Qatala was present during the attack and had participated in it, yet also put it on record that he was not a member of a terrorist organization, but that he had, quote, conspired to provide material support for terrorism, end quote. The attack has since gone down in the media narrative as having been carried out by an international Islamist terrorist group, Ansar al-Sharia, one of al-Qaeda's myriad rebrandings. Why then was it so difficult for them to formally acknowledge this? In any event, so much for him being the mastermind of Benghazi. Currently, a second suspected attacker, Mustafa al-Imam, is facing trial in Washington, D.C. It is being overseen by the same court, by the same judge, and he is being defended by the same attorney. Earlier this year, an investigator hired by this suspect's attorney reached out to the Moriarty's and agreed to remunerate them for information they could provide, information which would, presumably, help their client's defense. So James and Joanne asked their contacts in Libya what evidence they could provide about the Benghazi attack. What they have come back with is valuable evidence. Footage from an interview that appears to have been conducted by Moroccan TV news sometime in late 2012 or 2013. The man interviewed is Omar Abd Assalam, and in it he confesses to his role in the attack. This footage was aired once, then disappeared. Here it is now, shown online for the first time. التهمة الانخراط في الجهاز الخاص بتصفية الممثلين الدبلوماسيين طبعا السفارة الأمريكية جهازنا قوة من شارع فانيسيا وكتيبة من 17 فبراير طلع سحاتي وطبعا القادة الميدانية عماد شقعابي وبو قتالة وأحمد النص ومحمد بن حميد وجمعنا القوة في كتيب 17 فبراير واتفقنا مع أربع حراس من حراسات السفير الأمريكي على أساس أن نشتبكوا معهم من الساعة ونسحبوا ونحن نقتحموا السفارة اتفقنا معهم وطلعنا بالرتل من 17 فبراير ورتل من شارع فانيسيا وذهبنا إلى المقر السفارة الأمريكية وتم الاشتباك معهم نص ساعة ساعة الأربعة اقتحمنا السفارة الأمريكية ودخلنا على السفير في غرفته الشخصية كان عليه بالفرار وقبضنا عليه
طبعا خنقناه عمر عبد السلام وعلاء العجيلي وواحد ملقب بالنمس محمد سنوسي حمد وعبد الله العداري وخرجنا به وخنقناه وحطيناه في سياره ثانيه وسيبناه على الطريق وتم اشتباك مع اربع مع اربع حراس حراس السفير الامريكي هل كانوا ليبيين ام امريكيين؟ لا واحد امريكي وثلاثه ثلاثه ليبيين الذين تواطاتم معهم هل كانوا آه. ليبيين ام امريكيين؟ شخص امريكي وثلاثه من ليبيين هل تم اغتيالهم تصفيتهم ام تركتموهم؟ آه لا لا اشتباكهم ماتوا في الاشتباك اقتحمنا السفارة الأردنية وخطفنا السفير الأردني هل كان بتنسيق مع لا تنسيق مع أبو ختالة وأحمد النص و... هل كان بتنسيق داخلي يعني لا ما فيش, ما فيش تنسيق داخلي ما فيش تنسيق داخلي ده خاشين السفارة الأردنية خطفنا السفير وطلبنا بأحد سجون مجاهدين في أردن أخو شقيق أحمد النص وبعدين السفير هذا لما اخطفتوه وين وين أخذتوه أخذنا على 17 فبراير وطلبنا بالأخي أحمد النص الشقيق المجاهد اللي في الأردن وتم أطلاق صراحة بالنسبة للسفارات الأخرى قلت مثل السفارة الأمريكية تم تفجيرها بعبوة ناسفة وقاذفين أر بي جي في شارع في في شارع البيبسي وبالنسبة المديرية المديرية طبعا خش دخلنا على أساس بنقتحموها ما لقينا حد لغمناها وخرجنا وتم تنزيلها بالكامل دخلتموها لغرض اخذ السلاح ام لغرض اخذنا السلاح وتم تفجيرها بالكامل يعني اخذتوا السلاح اخذنا السلاح كانت كميه كبيره لدخل كميه كبيره نوت هاو ابد اسلام's account of coordination between the guards and the attackers supports the eyewitnesses impression that the initial attack on the main compound with light gunfire was quote an act being conducted by irate jihadists in quote afghani dress Note also that Abd al-Salam outright confesses to Stevens having been strangled to death. Finally, note that he gives names of some of his co-attackers. Mustafa al-Imam is not among them, although Abu Qatala is. The Moriarty's were set to provide al-Imam's defense team in Washington with this information, which could well have helped their client. But when the attorney's investigator changed the terms of the exchange to insist on seeing this information first, Before making payment, the deal fell through. Since then, the Moriarty's have had no follow-up contact from them, hence their decision, for their own protection and for the greater public interest, to publish this video. Joe and I have spoken with James and Joanne three times previously, most recently in 2017, when they introduced us to Sheikh Khaled Tantouche, one of Libya's leading imams, a tribal elder and confidant of the late leader of Libya, Muammar Gaddafi. You'll find links to our earlier discussions with the Moriarty's in the description below. You can also find extensive documentation for the Moriarty's claims on their website, LibyanWarTheTruth.com, where you can also purchase their DVD titled Escape from Al-Qaeda. How are you guys doing? Oh, we still, you know, they still fight us, beat us up all the time. You know, we're, we're, uh, a threat, I guess, to the, the deep state because of the information that we put out all the time. You know, we get it directly from the tribes in Libya, and it's always the truth. It's been 
validated as being 100% accurate by the Defense Intelligence Agency. And, and as they told us, no intelligence agency in the world has ever been able to get inside the tribal cultures, never been able to gain their confidence. And, and uh, we fortunately did. We're the official spokespersons for the tribes of Libya, which includes about 98% of all Libyans. And we were actually put on the kill list by a CIA operative in Libya. And we were captured by Al-Qaeda. We were taken to their torture center. We were to be killed and chopped up and burned. Got out of there with three miracles and got back here. And we have been attacked by our own government ever since then. They have soft killed us, blacklisted, blacklisted us, killed our business, took our bank accounts, um, absolutely put us on the street. Uh, we have no money. We're, for all practical purposes, we're homeless. We live in, the, in an old rundown house at the at the grace of an elderly couple that uh, moved to Panama to get away from the mess here in the United States. And, and they continued to attack us. And, and um, back in, I think it was 2012, after Chris mm -hmm. Stevens was killed, the U.S. State Department, uh, Hillary Clinton, put out an offer of $10 million reward for information leading to the people that, that perpetrated the, the attack on that uh, safe house in Benghazi and the murder of Chris Stevens. And the tribes came to us and they said, the families of the three guys that coordinated that are so ashamed of their sons that they want to out them to the world. They've disowned them and they want to out it. So we contacted everybody we could in, in Washington, D.C. to find out uh, how we could give this information. We, we offered to give it to them. We didn't even want the reward and we offered to give it to them. Nobody wanted it. And we knew it was very dangerous for us to have because anybody that's got any negative information on Hillary Clinton, they end up pushing up daisies. You know, there's her, her kill list is huge. So we didn't get that information and we didn't want it. It was dangerous for us to have it. We have, Joanne and myself are our entire team and our security and everything. We have a dog and that's it. You know, we have no attorneys. Everybody's abandoned us. So we're, we're really out on the end of a little limb. Yeah. and we're targeting individuals. And so it was not good for us to have that information. On the 23rd of February, a retired police officer who's now an investigator, you know, 23rd of this, this year. February 2019, yeah. 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 A guy named Trevor Haywick called us and he said that he's an investigator working for an attorney that's defending a guy in Washington, D.C. that is supposedly the main perpetrator of the attacks on Benghazi and he's going to trial and this attorney has an unlimited budget. He's trying to find out, you know, what information we could bring to them that would help exonerate their client. And uh, they had to have it by the 15th of March. So that was three weeks. I think his and, name is Mustafa Al-Imam. And, and, uh, and the attorney's name is uh, Peed. Andrew Peed. Andrew Peed. And then the judge's name is Christopher Cooper. Cooper. And uh, uh, so we checked these guys out. They were real people. Uh, Joanne called uh, her lead contact with the tribes in Libya. And they said, yeah, we know this guy. He's not, he's not even a Libyan. He's a Palestinian. They're talking about Imam Atmos. And they said, there's no Libyan that's going to take orders from a Palestinian. So this guy, yes, he was there, but he was a low-level CIA operative was a looter a paid looter and he was he was photographed they had a, a video camera in the front of that house and his he went into the house after the fire went out and 
he was one of the looters. And so we went back to this uh, Trevor Haywick, and we said, yeah, we, we, we know who this guy is, but on top of that, we know we can get the information of who really did it. And he said, oh, gosh, that's great. He said, uh, we want to pay you all. You know, we need it right away. He put a real high hourly fee for us to do it. And then he came back to us a little later, and he said, he said we've got a budget of, I think it was $30,000, that, uh, you know, we need this information right away, and I need to go in and interview everybody by the 15th of March. So we mobilized with money we did not have, and we, we, we contacted our friends, and they said, there's a video of one of the perpetrators who was uh, arrested in Morocco, and there's an absolutely audio-video interrogation of him where he gives all the names of everybody. And we said, great what's it going to take to get it? And they said, well, it was, it was put out and then it was redacted. It's not available any place. It was taken down. Yeah. It was absolutely taken, taken down. down. And but the tribes had a copy of that in their uh, right. secure area in, in Bonnie Walid. Bonnie Walid is the capital of the, of the Warfala tribe, which is the biggest tribe in Libya. And that Bonnie Walid is a town. It's in a valley and it lays uh, east and a little south of Tripoli. And so uh, our friends were in Tunisia, and I want everybody to understand it's not safe to communicate in Libya at all. The NSA put in two uh, containers of their most sophisticated monitoring and jamming equipment into Libya in early 2011 while this phony uprising was taking place. And so they can monitor every phone call. They can jam the systems. They can triangulate on the phone. And uh, their systems have been responsible for the assassination of a lot of, a lot of tribal leaders and a lot of key people in Libya. So uh, the people we speak to are actually in Tunisia. And when they speak to us, they'll call us, speak to us for about 10 minutes. We set up the time and they'll go to an internet cafe and then we'll have a conversation with them. And that still is, is current to this day. Hmm. So they said, uh, we cannot get this information via the internet at all it, whoever's whoever's got it in libya will be in in mortal danger so we devised a system where we rented a 10-ton truck in tunisia filled it up with water because there is no water can you imagine there's no fresh water in libya the water treatment plants have been blown up and there's been nothing done to rebuild those or repair them so they always need water so we rented this truck loaded it up with water, there, water. Uh, 20 uh, one-liter bottles in plastic blister wrap, fill this truck, it had wooden sides. It cost us $150 a day, and they couldn't drive to Bonnie Walid via Tripoli because Tripoli is an absolute It was Jesse James. Yeah, It, it was, was full of militias. Yeah. They're taking them out now. Anybody that went into Tripoli, they were going to get their car stolen. Their wife was going to get raped. they get killed. It's just, I mean, they... It's absolutely hoodlumville. Right. And so to get to Bonnie Walid, they had to go way south via Garion. They took a 900-mile uh, each-way trip, and it, it ran into 3,000 miles round trip. We paid the two drivers $100 a day each and then promised them a nice bonus when they got back. And so seven days, they went nonstop to and from Bonnie Walid. And this video, they, they took a copy of it and brought it back to Tunisia. And then we were sent that video, and it was so damning. It absolutely gives the names and details. They, they, and gave, us a, they gave us a rough translation of it, and I sent you that translation. You, 
the right. names are on there. Everything's on there about the people, who they killed, how they killed, everything, how it was set up. And uh, since we didn't have any money at all, we borrowed money from our brother-in-law, who's, who's uh, uh, you know, he's, he's a retired, he's, doctor. You know, retired doctor and health problems and borrowed it from some other people. And we said, they said, we don't have any money. I said, look, we're going to get you paid back immediately because the, the people in Washington, D.C. have guaranteed immediate payment to us. Yeah, and what Hewitt told us was that if the attorney would refuse to pay us, and he said, by the way, the attorney has been, uh, he was appointed as a defender for this guy, and he's been given millions in a budget to defend this guy, so he can do whatever he wants. He said, if he won't pay you, I will out of my own pocket. He said, so don't worry. So long and short, we think this whole deal was a setup. They have been trying to find out how much information we've had that well, was really damaged. What happened when we got the information and we yeah. told him, he said, oh, now the attorney wants to, wants to document and see all the information before he pays you. Well, <laughs> right. of course, you know what that does. Yeah. Then he doesn't need to pay us. He's got yeah. the information. Let me, let me give you a list of what we have. The third day after Chris Stevens was killed, the Libyan government, who was a phony NATO UN installed puppet government, came out with their security report. They wanted to make sure that they were not blamed for Chris Stevens' assassination. So they arrested everybody they could, interrogated them, and they came out with their official report. I sent that to you. And you've got a copy of that. Uh, we'd sent it to Jerome Corsi. He wrote an article about it. And that report was actually written in the congressional record, read in the congressional record of the United States. And in that report, it says that Morsi coordinated, paid, and trained everybody for this attack months ahead of time. Right. So Morsi and his wife were 30-year friends of Bill and Hillary Clinton. Mm. There's that link. Uh, they had an uprising Muslim Brotherhood throughout the friend of the United States, been a 30-year friend, and installs Morsi, who is Muslim Brotherhood. So he's the one that coordinated the the killing the of the assassination of Chris assassination Stevens. of Chris Stevens. For, Next, for what purpose? Well, because uh, Chris Stevens was the gun runner. He was the guy that supplied all those rockets that went to Libya and then disappeared. Twenty thousand. Yeah, he was also involved in all the weapons that were brought in by NATO into Libya to blow it up, and we have video proof of that. We have lots of proof of that. Um, he was involved in, in sending all kinds of weapons and mercenaries into Syria with but, Clinton. But why, why would the Clintons then want to get rid of them? Just to kind of, because they're... Because they didn't tell those tales. tales. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody's got any trash on the Clintons are dead. They right. kill them. I mean, uh, they don't there, want... There's a real problem with the rockets that were sent in to Libya. And uh, one of those rockets, these rockets, these shoulder-mounted rockets were sent in after the no-fly zone was in place. And the Libyan security came to us in 2011 in Tripoli, where we were, and said, why would your government send all these shoulder-mounted rockets to shoot down planes when we have a no-fly zone? And there's no flying here in this country. Well, those rockets were immediately taken out of Libya and put all over. These, these were 20,000 rockets, rockets that are a million, $100,000 per each. They're made by Northrop Grumman. Right. And uh, as an executive Northrop Grumman told us later, they're the most sophisticated shouldered air rocket made. You could take a 12-year-old and in a couple hours make him proficient enough to hit a, a target six miles off within a foot. One of those rockets shot down a U.S. helicopter in Afghanistan. Right. And the rocket did not engage. It didn't blow up. And so they got the number off of it. 
and they know that it was they tracked it back to Libya and they tracked it back to all this stuff. Right, because one of one of the one of the main things that have, that have been said uh, in terms of uh, the conspiracy around uh, Benghazi and the killing of uh, Stevens and the, is that those weapons that he was involved in in the weapon shipments uh, from Benghazi from Libya uh, in the ruins essentially at that point of 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 Libya to Syria. But you're saying it was more than just Syria; it was going to anybody. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It went out to all the, the mercenaries, Al-Qaeda, whatever, proxy army, the New World Order, whatever you want to call them. What, we're going to expand that story for you. Uh, we, had, we, we were fortunate enough, or damned or whatever, to receive third-party validation <laughs> all the time. So an executive in Northrop Grumman heard our story and contacted us, and he said... He, said, he uh, sent us an email. sent us an email, and he said, you know... You all are right, almost. He said, after these rockets went to Libya and disappeared, a ranking general from the Pentagon called a meeting of the top Northrop Grumman executives in their offices in Florida. And he went in there and he said, what the hell are you all doing sending 20,000 rockets to Libya and then letting them disappear? Who bought these rockets, he said. And then uh, they said, well, here's the deal. Here's the purchase order. The U.S. Secretary of State's office bought 50,000 of these rockets in 2009. Now, you remember, this is a year and a half before Arab Spring. They said the build time and delivery is about nine months. They were delivered to the U.S. Secretary of State in 2010, and 20,000 of those went to Libya. Right. The other 30,000, God only knows, so Northrop Grumman was off the hook. Now we got 50,000 of these rockets. That's enough to take down every military aircraft in the world and a bunch of the commercial airliners as well. Hmm. What but, the hell is the Secretary of State's office doing buying that kind of an offensive weapon? Yeah, those are weapons of mass destruction. And since when does the Secretary of State buy weapons of mass destruction? So when, the, when it was known by the world, all the leaders from the countries around Libya and other parts of the world where their spies knew that these weapons were coming, these rockets were coming into their countries, and they complained to the United States, said, what the hell are you doing? You're, you're endangering our countries. So they sent Chris Stevens out there to get them back. The CIA, their mantra is, or their general response is, that these were Gaddafi weapons. Right. These were weapons that, we, that, that the rebels found when they went into the Gaddafi stores. Now, this is a lie, a complete lie. Claire Lopez, who was on the Benghazi panel for, she's an ex-CIA, but I don't think there's any ex. Um, she spoke to me more than once about what we knew in Libya, and her, her responses were so tainted and so uh, not correct. You know, and She asked me how I knew Al-Qaeda, what branch of Al-Qaeda, how I knew Al-Qaeda captured us. I said, well, you know, she said, we don't know if there was any Al-Qaeda in Libya. I said, they were terrorists. They were radical Islamists. Call them whatever you want. ISIS, right. whatever. But I know they were being supported by NATO. We were looking at, so, the, at the business end of an AK, a bunch of AK-47s. They, were, they looked like armpits with eyes, beards and mustache. No <laughs> offense to anybody's redheaded, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, they were in our face, and we were taking their torture center, and they were dragging in uh, Libyan soldiers into that same building we were and they were killing them uh were the al-qaeda muslim brotherhood answer al-sharia you know your mother-in-law's boyfriend who we don't know but they were they, they probably changed names as often as they changed underwear which yeah, absolutely 
but she, regular enough. Yeah, she also but, denied the rockets. She said, oh, no, those were Gaddafi old Russian rockets. I said, no, that's not true. Mm. I said, so, I, she said, you know. Yeah, let me just clarify something. So just on the Chris Stevens thing, you're saying that um, he was involved, but you said that he was sent in to get those rockets back. He, he, was, the, he was the intermediary arms dealer for the rebels, the CIA operatives in Libya prior to the time he was ambassador. With, with Clinton. After with Clinton. he became ambassador, the, the pressure from countries all over the world for the United States to, to cut out this crap and right. recover all those rockets, they tasked Chris Stevens to do it. Right. And Chris Stevens had dinner that night. He was assassinated with the ambassador from Turkey. Chris Stevens knew he was in danger. He, right. he asked for protection many times. He knew he was being targeted. He knew who was targeting him. And he knew he was probably going to die. There was nothing he could do about it. They were going to, they, they fomented this attack to assassinate him. Now for five days before that dinner meeting, when he was assassinated shortly thereafter, <laughs> A five-kilometer area around that that uh, safe house was cordoned off. There was no traffic inside that area. Mm. The 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 security for that building was one of the radical, most radical entities in Libya. They were called the 16th of February. No, they're, they're Ansar al Sharia. They call themselves the February 16th group because they were the rebels, rats, whatever you want to call them, the instigators. Now, right. prior to prior to that day, that there had been anywhere from a dozen to 30 of their members protecting that safe house. That day there were three only. Right. Now we know this because, and you have this uh, MP3, It's I made it into a video for, right. where you can download it. That's our eyewitness from Libya. He lived across the street from that safe house. It was never an embassy. It was never a consulate. It's just a CIA safe house. And he was witness to everything. He he. That if you listen to that, he talks about the day it happened. He talks about the people who did it. They were not Libyans. They had a strange accent. They had strange clothes. Mostly, he thought they were Egyptians. He they he went into the house after the attack. He saw them abusing. He was taken into the house. Yeah, he, he said that. He, he this is a very affluent area. All the houses are, are six hundred to a thousand meters of construction. Most of them have swimming pools. They've got big stone walls in front of the houses. They've got a metal, solid metal gate that's the portico for the cars. And that night, he was in a, on the other side of the, of the safe house, if you would, at a little convenience store getting some milk and water for his family. When he heard the first shots, he jumped in his car to drive to his house. He, he didn't finish his purchase. And as he was driving down the backside of that house, Two vehicles came out of that safe house full of white faces. Chris Stevens was not in, in either of those cars. He pulled around to his house, and there were two goons standing outside his house. He pulled his car in there. He closed the door. He went back outside, and he said, well, are you going to kill us? And he said, no, we're not here to kill Libyans tonight. We're here to kill Americans. And so he said, you have to act like you're friendly with these guys. Otherwise, they slit your throat for nothing. So he said he stood there and visited with them the whole time this, this attack is going on this building. And uh, they burned out the inside of the building with something probably like diesel, made a whole lot of smoke, but didn't really burn the structure down. So after the, after the fire went out, they said, come on, you go in with us. So he said, if you don't go along with them. So he said, I was a part of that, of that group that first went into the house. After the fire went down, he said, "You have to." And it to, was all yeah. dark. 
no electricity. You have to comply. Mm -hmm. And he said, when I was in there, he said there were a couple of bodies. He said you couldn't see who it was because it was dark. It was late at night. He said they were they were kicking on this on these bodies. They were urinating on them. They were cussing them. You know, they were abusing them. And when they drug them outside, one of them was Chris Stevens. Right. So that's the first he knew who it was. Yeah. In one yeah. of the, in one of the videos you sent me, John, the, uh, there's a guy who is one of the perpetrators. Right. This is kind of the man. Yeah. That was the latest piece that we got. All this other stuff we had the the eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses, right. Yeah. yeah, so the, that was years ago. That we, was on Joyce Riley's Power yeah. Hour in 2014. Right. Yeah, but but you didn't have that video then, did you? No, no, no. no we didn't no. want it. We didn't know there was a video. We right. didn't know that until the the lure of enough money for us to get out of this little little uh, moldy house, if you would. We've got right. seven kinds of mold blooming here. It's not a safe house. Not a healthy house to live in. So there would have been enough money for us to be able to move into a, a better location. You know. Right. And so that's when we requested to get this information formalized to us. Right. And this was at, at the request of this was at the request of one of the uh, yeah. a prosecutor. Yeah. Yes. In in a case that's ongoing to try and find yes. out kind yeah. of who, the prosecutor, but the defense. Well, the defense. Yeah. yeah, the defense attorney right. is investigator yeah. of this yeah. Mustafa Al Imam. Yes. yes. And that's yeah. an that that case is ongoing right now in Washington. Yes, it is. Yeah. It goes to trial on the 29th of April, I think. It's like, a kangaroo court. His, They're going to find him guilty, you know. Yeah, his defense attorney then was looking, wanted you guys, was promising you guys money to get this information that would uh, acquit, him. Uh, acquit his, his, his client. Yeah. Well, yeah, or, or make him not the instigator, just a minor player. Right. They, yeah. they, they're, They're trying to close the book. They're trying to say this was the bad guy. He started everything. He did everything. He's bam. a scapegoat, if you will. Right. He's right. Be but, the then as it, but then, but then, as it turns out, when you got the this evidence, then they yes. don't want they don't want anything to do with it. No, they, they don't, don't want, want it. it. Not only do they not want it, when when we tried to uh, tell him what we had, he said, "Well, we have to see the proof." And Jimmy said, "That's not going to work. You know, if we give you the proof." I said, "What about our expenses? What about the payments? Because they hadn't been coming one, in." He one said, of well, our Libyans lost his phone and his laptop over this, and he said, "We'll pay it, no problem." As soon as we refused to give them all the information without payment, but they would dropped off the air. We haven't heard from them since. Tried to give it to the judge. The judge said, "No, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Go to your go to the attorney." Right. So they, the the judge is a kangaroo court judge. Incidentally, he was in the transition team for Obama. And uh, so what, they, what they're doing in Washington, D.C., when we found all that out, after, after we had done everything we could and really got the proof to exonerate this guy as being the, the, the ringleader, uh, then we had to go back and rethink what happened. And, you know, they, forever we have been attacked. They've been, they've they arrested us on the highway one time, kept us for 31 and a half hours. They were inside this house. They went through all our computers and everything. They're trying to find out just how much real hard evidence we've got Are we all the war crimes and atrocities in Libya, what we've got. They've been trying to get that from us forever. And we've had it secreted in hard drives all over the place. This piece of information about Benghazi, we never wanted it in our possession. So we think we were probably set up and they know we have no money. So $6,500 of expenses paid out is, is a fortune. That's half a year's living expenses for us. So, you know, that was a devastating so what, thing. What we decided was they attacked my computer, they blew up my hard drive, they attacked Jimmy's computer, and we decided, okay, the only thing we can do is make this public. 
the and best thing for us is to make all this information public. And let everybody see the truth and then let them question their own governments and everybody. Why is the United States covering this up? Why are these truths not available to the investigative forces of the CIA and FBI and all and, these other intelligence agencies? And these two little people in the woodland, I mean, in, in deep southeast Texas, have this huge body of information. Plus, when they're offered the information, they refused it. Yeah. Right. And the key piece of, of information, at least in, in one of the videos, not the eyewitness video that you have, and we'll, I want to ask you about the videos in a minute, something else about the videos, but the key piece of information in the video that's in uh, Arabic, but you, you provided a, a translation for, um, right. the key piece of information in that is that that guy who, who claims to have been taken part in the in the attack on on the on the consulate, whatever that right, right. Stevens was killed, that he that he says that there was an American with him. Oh yes. yeah, yes. first we've heard of that. But see, we didn't stop at just getting the video. The tribes always want double or triple validation. So after we had the video in hand, if you would. Uh, we had a family of three people go back to Benghazi and interview the families that had originally offered up the names of their sons to verify that the names this man gave were, correct. were the correct ones. And right. they validated the three names given as the, as the lead pers uh, perpetrators were the guys named in this video. But here's another piece of information. Yes, that American as one of the coordinators, that was the first time we heard that. We don't have his name, and nobody in Libya knows his name. But that's a key piece. Yeah. Next to that, he said that uh, Chris Stevens was pulled out of the group that was fixing to go down the slide. On all these buildings, they have a, a slide out the back and side. escape slide. So that people can hit that slide, the cars are right there, and they can escape in no time. We know this happened because of our eyewitness. But what we saw from the video is he said Chris Stevens was pulled away from these people and the three guys strangled him. He was killed, and we have the names of the, actually the three guys that killed him. You'll see in the, right. in the translation. Here's, here's a question you have to ask. Right, and the thing is, the official story. Go ahead. This all happened within a minute or two. Right. How did these three guys get inside that house and know where to Chris Stevens was going to be in that short a period of time. They were already in the house. Right. Had to be. They had, or they had an American with them who. who yeah, exactly. Who, who no, different guys. Those guys were outside shooting in the air, acting like okay. they were attacking. These guys had to be inside the building. The first guys were the diversionary ones who had the agreement with the guys, the two or three guys guarding it to let them in. Right. So they created a diversion, and the, and then the other guys were let in that were the murderers. They were already in. They had to have already been in there because within a minute of the of the shootings uh, going on, the two cars were leaving out the backside. We know that from our eyewitness. So these guys, within a minute, got got into the house and got back where Chris Stevens was going to be at the slide. No, they were already in there. Chris Stevens was going to make an escape, and they stopped him and killed him. And, the, right. you know, the news said he was killed by smoke inhalation. Exactly. Yeah. He was that, was, that was a lie. So, you know, here, here you've got a blocked up uh, piece of, I mean, a, a body of evidence about how, and from different sources, from the government of Libya, from our eyewitness, now one of the perpetrators, we have the entire proof of what really happened. And of course, nobody wants to know about they, it. No they, still, they still offer $5 million reward for anybody coming forward with any information. 
Right. Uh, they will will not speak to us, of course. Yeah. We've tried. They, they don't want the information. Trey no. Gowdy knows about us. Trey Gowdy has been uh, contacted by many people who've heard our story, say you need to speak to these people. And finally, we called his office, and they said, oh, we have a file on you, but we don't. if we ever need to speak to you, we will. Now, Trey Gowdy, there's, we call them speechifiers, politicians. <laughs> All they do is, is run their mouth, but they don't ever do anything. And Trey Gowdy... Louis Gomer, Daryl Issa, these guys are, oh, we're going to find out what happened in Benghazi. We're going to bring the perpetrators to task. We're going to do this. There has never been one Libyan interviewed that was not an employee of the United States government. Right. Not one. Well, you know, there's two. I mean, people might wonder why, you know, if there's a federal court, uh, court case going on that's, that's seeking to find the perpetrators of Benghazi uh, right now, and there's a guy who has been, has been accused of being directly involved in it and you guys have evidence uh have you know found or been given evidence that this guy isn't the the only one or even the, the main one involved or there are other people you have people on camera saying admitting to being involved and saying that there was an american there and all those other details from eyewitnesses and stuff and uh so the question then on people's minds would be well why wouldn't a, a federal prosecutor be interested in uh, all of those details if he's taking if he's trying to defend a, a libyan from from uh, from the accusation of, of being involved in, in benghazi because you, know, you guys obviously have a lot more information why wouldn't he need it and why would the, well, the judge, because why, why would the judge even kind of like put the kibosh and that kind of thing well there's two words that explain it two words right. like national security right Right. The only thing, that's all you have to say to those kind of people, or you have someone in a, in a suit with credentials comes up and says national security, and they shut their mouths. Yeah. Well, and, and the truth is, this was a CIA operation. Right. This was, this was an assassination of Chris Stevens, an ambassador by Hillary Clinton and Obama and company, to quell all the information about the rockets and all the weapons that went past through Illegal. Libya into Syria and other places, you know. Right. And uh, this gets back to why Libya was blown up and everything. But, you know, if they can make this little guy a scapegoat and right. they can lose the file completely and say, oh, well, we'll solve the case. Yeah, Here's the bad guy. We're going to string him up. And that's it. Then mm -hmm. then you close this the, real nasty the, piece of history. The way they got his name was Katala. You know, the guy that's in prison right now, he, he did take part. His name is on one of, as one of the instigator or helpers. Um, he is in prison right now. He named this guy. And for sure, this guy, he, they were told him to name someone. And this guy has no information about how it was put together, how it was uh, initiated, who was behind it. So this is a safe person to have up there on trial. Right. Also, he can't, he can't talk. The government, the U.S. government paid a Libyan informant, a businessman, $7 million dollars to bring forward evidence and names of who and who. Katala so, and this guy. So, you know, they've had their own stool pigeon over there, if you would. When he, yeah, Neil was just telling me about that earlier on today. Go ahead. It's, that's an extraordinary little fact that was included in, um, in media reports about the first trial of uh, Abu Katala. Yeah. The this guy in Libya was paid $7 million for yeah. information. And, the way they got this guy out of uh, Libya was extraordinary. They, they lured him to a safe house on the coast, and then U.S. Navy Delta and an FBI team were there to kidnap him. Well, it was the guy who lured the guy, Katala, who lured him got $7 million for luring right. him and putting him into the hands of 
the U.S. Navy the US initially, Navy and then wherever on, on, on a boat on a warship back to the states. Yeah, um, seven million seven million dollars was paid to a Libyan informant, a businessman there. Right. Okay. That's they a separate, tried, they tried, a separate yeah. seven million dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So you know they don't want the truth. But they do, they do not want the truth. They, they don't want all their war crimes to be to be this, exposed. This Al Imam was picked up illegally. That was one of the defenses they used. They said this guy was picked up illegally. Right. You know, the, current, the, the, currently the, the FBI go into any country and pick up somebody. A looter. A looter. A, a looter. <laughs> yeah, but on top of it, the first guy was picked up illegally because the FBI technically has no authority outside the United States. Exactly. CIA is the group that works outside the United States. So, you know, if you look at their, how they were formed, but anybody that believes the United States is a lawful country is smoking dope because whatever, <laughs> you know, they're a big bully, whatever they want to do, they're going to do it. There's another extraordinary connection between the two cases, the, the trial of the first guy, um, Abu Qatala, and the current guy, Mustafa al-Islam Imam. It's the same judge, it's the same court, and I believe it's the same defense attorney. Uh, yes. Ju uh, judge Cooper and this uh, attorney Peed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the same setup. That's extraordinary. Absolutely. And yeah. Peed, if you look at his background, he's tied to, uh, what is the name of that? Uh, oh, the criminal law firm. That, um, the one that defending uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. That area was cordoned off for five days. This was a planned attack. They, Hillary Clinton put out Chris Stevens hour by hour itinerary, where he was going to go, how he was going to go, et cetera. And then the security force that was there protecting that house had disappeared. You know, I mean, this thing was a setup. It was an assassination period. And About the attack itself, um, I, I was kind of shocked to go back over it and remind myself exactly how it played out. It was actually two separate locations. Not yes, only that, yes. but they were separated in time, and there were four Americans killed in total, and they've since yes. all been named. Yes. They were Blackwater. They were they were they were hired. Yeah, they uh, were hired, and they're about nine tenths of a mile under, away from this one. They were under contract there. Yeah, to, they were ex-military under contract, and they they were not they were not part of the plan. They were not supposed to be there. They were not supposed to go there. Well, why why was that CIA? Uh, that second CIA location, um, why was it shelled? Why, 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 who fired mortars at it and why? Hours later. Well, because they, the, they were not supposed to attack. There was a stand-down order given to all the people who could have defended the Benghazi safe house. It was never a council. It had never had a flag flying on it. None of the vehicles had, had diplomatic tags, not anything. So this was a safe house only. What happened in that house is every politician from all over the world, when they came into Libya, they were given a $10 million gift inside that house in cash. So every time John McCain went there, he went home with a bundle of cash. That's what that house was used for. And they also made their deals with the rebels, and, and all the rebels that were brought in were CIA, Mossad, MI6 mercenaries, trained outside of Libya, brought in. And uh, that location was where they made their, their side deals with the, with the CIA operatives, et cetera. That was a safe house. Bernard That's Levy, those guys all were there. Yeah. Right. And, and then the CIA, uh, the Blackwater headquarters was nine-tenths of a mile away, in the same area, but nine-tenths of a mile away. So not close enough for them to run up and, and defend it. And really the whole 
event of from Stark to Chris Stevens being killed happened in a couple of minutes. Right. Now, the rest of it was Kabuki Theater. This is one other piece of information that was kind of odd that happened. The Saturday night that Chris Stevens was killed and attacked, the tribal the tribes called us and they said, "You're you're actually we heard six weeks before from a, a general in the desert called us on a satellite phone and said one of your properties are going to be attacked." We didn't know what property or what he was talking about, but so we were told six weeks in advance. Then the night that it happened, the tribes called us and said your ambassador is being attacked. He's going to be killed. He's going to be attacked tonight. In an hour, you need to get your help there. Call, call your people. Who can we call? You know, we don't have anybody to call. And so maybe two hours later, they said, your ambassador's been killed. And he's been moved to this hospital in Benghazi. They gave us the name and the street. And they said, the people who killed him are with him. And you need to go there. You can arrest them right now. They, they also said you, you have weaponized drones flying in that area. Yeah, you can you, you call in your drones. You can call in your military. They're right there. These are the guys that killed him. We have nobody to talk to. You know, We have nobody to call. Nobody listens to us. So maybe two hours later, they called back, and they said, okay, the guys who killed Chris Steven have shaved off their beards. They put on Western clothes, and they're in cars heading to Cairo right and now. And they gave us description And they told the us car. about the cars that they were driving, so that they said, you can get them still. And that's a long road from Benghazi to, to the border of Egypt. Yeah, and it, it was known then in Senate hearings after the attack that Hillary Clinton was personally being briefed in real time at, yeah. at every stage of the-, of the Yeah, and Obama was watching it on his TV. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so something happened there where there's stand down. Um, I'm still confused though about the time delay between the two separate facilities in Benghazi. How long was it? Were you suggesting that um, the guys in the, the two the two guys um, Tyrone Woods and Glenn Doherty they were the two named CIA. contractors in the other facility they were going to come and help but they were they were beaten. They back were told back. not to. There was a team in in uh, Tripoli that was they were already in the plane they they could have been there in an hour so there was uh, help from a submarine that was gonna launch a bunch of, of uh, drones and other equipment to, to protect that place. But see, all the damage is already done. This was all Kabuki Theater. The four Blackwater guys that were killed, and we don't know that they're Blackwater, but they were, they were uh, paid operatives for the United States. And they were killed. And the, the real tragic part about that is their location for those rockets to have hit the tops of those buildings like they did could not have been uh accident of, of right. fate. Those were trained, targeted, dialed in weaponry. Right. That did that. And so, right. you know, there might be another attack on that uh Blackwater facility. Yeah, you would imagine that like a couple of you say Blackwater officials that are called that they're referred to as CIA operatives, you know, but you know, there's yeah. there's a bit of a blending there of Blackwater CIA yeah. or mercenaries you know contract uh, yeah whatever but for, those guys aren't aren't are no dummies right and if they're in libya in and in a kind of war zone effectively or in a hot zone type thing there's a lot of chaos around and they're in a house uh you can be pretty sure that not a lot of people know that they're there those guys are going to protect themselves they're not just going to be leave themselves as sitting ducks, ducks basically so they're going to be fairly discreet about what they do and um so for like you said uh, jimmy th for for mortars to directly hit the place, the building that they were in, and kill them, 
it strongly suggests someone being given that specific information who was in I have to go back to the US you don't want to yeah, let, me tell, let me tell you something the operatives in in Libya beginning in for sure by middle summer they there were Libya by that time was nearly destroyed and by by August uh, there was very little Libyan military left to, to fight and by October, Libya was finished. So all these operatives that were in there, the 250,000 mercenaries and all the, the reason that the United States uses operatives, Blackwater and these other companies is because that takes the blame away from the United States. Right. You know, these guys are paid, but they're not U.S. They, but don't, are fall, they? they don't, don't fall under the Uniform Code of Military Justice no. here either. Right. So, you know, when they were, when these guys, uh, they weren't afraid of anything. Now there was no, no there. There was never an opportunity for anybody to attack them because those were the guys bringing the money in and right. training the mercenaries inside Libya, the right. CIA twenty nine training centers. Right. In who, who in Libya is going to be able? Who's going to want to and be able to kill those two guys? Nobody. They're, they're the friends of all those the guys. Passing out, the other guys passing out the money. They're not right. going to. The they're West. not going to attack them. Right. Yeah. So you know they're not they're not afraid. They were not fearful. Right. They're like fear. You know, the, all they had to do was drink their beer and pizza and and uh, pass out money. Right. Um, one of the guys, uh, Glenn Doherty, um, former former Navy SEAL, and named as one of the CIA contractors who was killed with Chris Stevens. And, you know, he was in the other building. Oh, okay. um, yeah. The guy with Chris Stevens was Sean Smith, I think. Right. Uh, he he was also with the State Department, so he's formerly right. U.S. You know, Foreign Service Corps. Yeah. But Doherty and Tyrone. Um, they were the the bizarre thing is that Doherty Doherty, ABC News put out a report um, just days after the Benghazi attack. So in September 2011, um, saying that they had just the month previously, August interviewed uh, Glenn Doherty um, about the problem that he was tasked with allegedly do, uh, solving in Libya, which was tracking down these uh, surface-to-air man-pad missile launchers and destroying all of them. He was speaking to ABC News a month before this, warning about how difficult it was and the proliferation of weapons, yada, yada. Why would he be doing that? Why would he be speaking to the press, the CIA contractor? Yeah. Um, if if he's actually in Libya, making sure these things are being distributed and pushed out there. Because because he's selling the agenda. He's acting like Al Qaeda. All these bad guys have these rockets, you know, and we've got to get them back. The ISIS, Ansar Al Sharia, Muslim Brotherhood, they are operatives for the United States, France, England, etc. Right. So they have to keep this lie up and act like we're fighting the enemy when, in fact, those are the paid mercenaries. The yeah. interesting thing about what's happened, this is a little side vignette because it, 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 it works with this story. What's happening in Tripoli right now, the Libyan National Army is going in there to clean out all these mercenaries and, and militias, terrorists, really, that are in there. What happened is U.S. pulled their troops out of Janzor. Nobody knew this just that, happened. Nobody the last knew. Couple of days. Nobody knew there were U.S. troops in Janzor. At least right. nobody, no Libyans I knew. Right. The, the video uh, surfaced yesterday, showing them leaving in a hovercraft. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the yeah. and the Italians are pulling their troops out who've been supporting the Misrata militias. And the Indians are pulling their, East Indians are pulling their military out of Tripoli. We didn't even know they were there. So yeah, the, the this, Italians had they, moved in an op occupational force in the Misrata. After, into Misrata after Trump gave them the imprimatur to take over Libya. But think about this. You've got the Misrata, you've got the militias, these gangs in Tripoli that control Tripoli and allowing the UN government to steal do whatever they want, not help the Libyan people, but steal gold, steal oil, steal whatever their money, whatever. The U.S. is there and, and Italy is there helping these mercenaries, giving them weapons, giving them money, making sure that they're okay, not helping Libya at all. But here's the U.S. saying, we have no part of these are terrorists over here. So they've got this whole thing spun around where we think, oh, they're these terrible terrorists. No, it's the U.S. there with their puppets, U.S. Operatives. you know, mastering their puppets out there. The U.S. they're right there. In how, how in the hell could all these legitimate military forces inside Libya, U.S., Italian, French, Indian. East Indian, all these forces there, well-trained and everything, how could they allow the continued destruction of Libya? How could they allow these militias. The power plants are not are not put back in order. The water treatment plants. How could they allow that the people, the Libyans, don't have drinking water, don't have electricity, don't have all these things? Because they're not there to help Libya. They're there to maintain and master their puppets that are there controlling, making Libya destabilized all the time. But the good news is this: there's a there's an organic uprising now, a real uprising in Libya, and they are absolutely moving through. Tripoli and they're they're cleansing there's that they're routing all the militias because the militias if, if you've got a bunch of gang members you've got 500 1,000 1,500 armed gangs this gang is over here this gang's over here none of them are coordinated and right. they're all trying to steal their piece of right. the pie and so uh, when the Libyans finally got together and they, they devised a plan this Khalifa Haftar right. uh, is a CIA operative period. That's all he is. Hmm. However, he's the only guy that's been allowed to receive any weapons or support or anything. So the Libyan tribes and the other Libyan legitimate leaders said, well, let's go ahead and let this guy run. We don't care. We'll, we'll, we don't care. We put him over here. Let him be the face. We're going to go clean our country. And that's what they decided to do. And you know, it's funny now because he's being attacked. Mm -hmm. They're comparing him to Assad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, noise in the past few days, so it's kind of it's coincidental, I suppose, that we're talking to you about something that happened, you know, what seven years, six, seven years ago. Uh, but kind of Libya has kind of kind of sprung back into the news just in the past few days, um, and you you already mentioned Haftar and stuff. But I mean, um, there was a big there was a big pushback when he started an offensive against uh, against Tripoli. Dropping a bomb, it was Tripoli, right near Tripoli Airport, uh, and supposedly is marching on Tripoli. And there was a big, uh, a lot of noise, a lot of upset in amongst most of the West, particularly in the US, though, uh, and the UN, of course, about him doing that. You know, kind of, kind of calling for calm and for him to back down and stuff because they support the legitimate, uh, legitimate, so-called legitimate government that was installed not long after the NATO bombing. So, what's, I mean, what is your take on? You, you, you're kind of as far as the as far as most people are aware of in terms of getting their and in, in that they get their information from the media there's just the, the so-called legitimate government uh, in in the in 
in Beng in, in Benghazi. Tobruk and Tripoli. Tobruk and Tripoli. Sorry, Tobruk and Tripoli. Yeah, uh, and then that's the legitimate government approved by the UN. And then there's this guy Haftar, this gen former general, whatever, used to live in America in Langley, not far from CIA headquarters. Um, He's now back on the scene. And so people are being given this image of, of there being these two opposing factions. You're saying there's a third force there that's, that's the, the most legitimate uh, representatives yeah. of the people. Yeah, what, what they have in Tripoli is a UN puppet government. Never elected. It's, right. it's past the NATO government. They, they threw that one out. They had an election in 2014 right. and elected the Tobruk government, but the Muslim Brotherhood attacked it. They right. had to move to Tobruk. They were killing the so, wives, raping the wives attacking the yeah. legitimately elected members. So they had to they had to move in, in mass to Tobruk to establish the government there because the bad guys, the CIA operatives, if you would, and Mossad operatives in Tripoli uh, would not allow them to seat themselves. The Muslim Brotherhood was the one that was really upset that they lost. They voted all of them out. So and, and the, UN, the UN went to Tunisia and they picked up a bunch of Libyans who rats is living called most of them uh some ansar al-sharia some al-qaeda some muslim brotherhood some lifg libyan islamic fighting group put them together as a new government and the libyan people said we don't want them don't right. bring them here and so they snuck them in by dark at night they brought I them see. into Maitiga airport by by water yeah and that's where bel Hajj was his number one, one of the leading terrorist guys, and he protected them. And once they hit the Libyan ground, the UN said, oh, here's the legitimate government. We recognize this one. This guy's the prime minister, this Siraj. So the Libyan people voted in the wrong group, wasn't acceptable to the UN. So the UN installs its own group and, and, and acts so like this, this legitimately yeah. elected group is not non-valid. But the right. UN government has no support in Libya at all. The only mm -hmm. support they have, the only reason they can even stay seated is because the militias are working with them. They right. work with LIFG, they work with, with and the they militias. And they have control of the money. They, right. Yeah, and they're stealing from Libya right and left. And Libya has had it. They don't want it anymore. The, Libya has never even been represented in the UN by a Libyan. Right. Since 2011, they've had a German, a Spanish, and now they got a guy, Salame, from, from Lebanon right. who, who wants to talk. And so it's interesting. You have Pompeo coming out and say, oh, we're against them. Civilians are being killed in Tripoli and blah, blah. Well, he didn't have any trouble yeah. with 60,000 bombing sorties with civilians in 2011. Right. And, and he had no problem with the, ISIS being in Tripoli. In the yeah. a, million, a million Libyans were killed by the US, UN, and NATO attacks in Libya, a million. You won't see that anywhere, but what what happened, what's, what he's saying now is that we have to talk, it's peaceful. Talking for eight years, the Libyans still don't have clean water. Is The Libyans have come to, you know, hey, we don't buy this anymore, it's not gonna work, we have to clean our country. It's a virus we have in our country, yeah. and it's eating us alive, and we the only way to get rid of it is to kill it, now and this, that's what they're this, doing. This is not anything new. I want you to look at Libya. Now then, go. let's go look at Venezuela. Venezuela had a duly elected government. The government that the United States doesn't like and the Zionists don't like, so they pull this Guaido out. He's never been elected to anything, and immediately Trump says he's now the president in, in Venezuela. So this is the modus operandi for the bad guys. If the people don't elect the one they want, then they're going to put in their own puppet. Mm -hmm. Same thing in Syria. The, uh, Assad was, was re-elected by a huge majority. 85% or something. On every election. And all elections were monitored. No, he's not any good. We've got to have regime change. So in Libya, the people have had this organic uprising. They have been beat up. 
abused. Their their country's been destroyed. A trillion dollars worth of infrastructure damage to that country. But what has happened is like a tinderbox in Libya. Finally, a spark has been lit. The people have been wanting this forever, and this spark got lit. And so now, Haftar says he's going to have 85,000 troops, and he probably will. They're coming from Sirte. They're coming... I know Tarhuna has 3,000 troops coming in from all over Libya. They're going to clean this this rat's nest out. And what they do, and, and I don't know if you follow many Libyans on Facebook, but they put this out all over media. They say, we're coming to this area. Anybody near the airport here on this road, please evacuate, evacuate your home. Please leave your homes. Please leave your homes in this area. We're leaving. Anybody who has militias in their family, living in their houses, leave your home. Leave your home. Leave the militias there, but leave your home. And the, so they're warning the people yeah. to please get out of the way. That we're coming to clean the city. So you you would so you would kind of you would more or less support this Haftar guy then? In terms yeah, of I don't support Haftar per se. I support the, the Libyan Libyan army. The Libyan yeah. for this purpose. Yes. Yeah. The Libyan and what's great is Haftar's now in the news and being targeted. I think it's great. No, no Libyan is, but. The thing that's happening is Haftar thinks when he cleans this up that he's going to be, they're going to have an election. He's agreed to an election. Mm. He thinks he'll be elected president. He's got 8% support in Libya no matter what. He will never be elected anything. Right. But the country has to be cleaned, and that's the only way they could bring the whole country together. They just right. they couldn't do it before they have no weapons. They have no, you know, the yeah. leadership is fractured. Years and years ago, the, the West wanted to overthrow Gaddafi because of all the natural resources in Libya. And Gaddafi was, this was the distributing the, the wealth of the country to all the people. They couldn't have that. So they started uh, an invasion of Libya from Chad. And the big traitor that was involved in that was Haftar. Mm -hmm, right. So when, when uh, that war is lost, Haftar and all his cohorts were lifted out and taken to Langley, Virginia. And they stayed there in and around CIA headquarters for almost 30 years. Then when this phony revolution in Libya starts, the CIA drops him down in Libya as the leader of all the rebels, all these 250,000 mercenaries that they brought in. Haftar was the leader. Then after a year or two, all of a sudden he gets some religion and he has a change of heart, so now he's going to help Libya. Never, ever was there ever any in, any good intent in his heart. He always, he was told by the CIA he would be installed as the, the leader of Libya and he'd be the, the potentate and he'd be able to be the big guy, etc. And uh, that never happened because he never had any popular support. Yeah, he used to be um, close with Muammar Gaddafi, right? And then they fell out. And he that was, was why he he was a, yeah, he, in the 70s, he was a general in the Gaddafi, in the army. Yeah. So he, yeah, he knew Gaddafi. But he was but, bought out. But the problem with Haftar is he has a dream to be a, a dictator. That's what it. That's what he wants to be. He wants to, you know, and his sons are criminals. His sons have robbed banks and killed people and stuff, and right. and they're fighting in the army. But at this point, after eight years of living, say we don't care. We just want our country cleaned. And after that, he wants after it. that, he say, wants after it. that, you will see Libya rise again. And don't worry about Haftar. Don't worry about him. Oh, and that, do you think that's going to happen? Do you think yeah, uh, what's going to be pushed aside? Well, <laughs> it, yeah, because it'll be the tribes that push him aside. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But what's happened in Libya is we've had Russia right. and Egypt and other countries stand up for the Libyans. 
And Russia made a declaration, I think it was Friday or Saturday, and said there will be no foreign intervention in Libya. Libya, this is going to be uh, handled inside Libya. Mm-hmm. And any foreign entity that attempts to go into Libya, we will eliminate them. So Russia, I don't know whether it's already there or they were moving it in one of their aircraft carriers equipped with S-400 it's, missile it's near It's near Tripoli now. And so uh, they're not going to allow any foreign intervention. In addition to that, Egypt has lined up all of its army, most of its tanks and everything, on the border with Libya. And Egypt has a huge army. And we've been told, we don't have any proof of that, that Egypt is the one that shot down the aircraft that was bringing a whole new load of weapons into Misrata. And it came from came from uh, Qatar. Qatar. But the history of the chain of weapons has always been U.S. to Qatar to wherever. Turkey won. So uh, that plane was shot down probably by Egypt. When, there, when did that happen? Huh? Was there a plane shot down recently? Yeah. This yeah, is this is what's being reported. I can't find okay. anything in the news. A day I, or two ago. A day or two ago. But, you know, okay. Egypt has the largest army in the world. Right. And they stand behind the Libyan tribes and the Libyan people. They don't, yeah. they're not trying, they don't want a UN government. They want the Libyan people to take their country back. And so what they're going to do is block the U.S. from bringing in more mercenaries, I'm sure, through their border. Any problems, they're standing ready to help the Libyans. That's mm-hmm. a huge Huge Plus deal. Russia and Russia's yeah. laid the gauntlet. Russia down. has said anybody puts their troops on the ground in Libya. Putin said this. He said you will find Russian troops there. Now, that. proof that this is effective is the exodus of all these military personnel out of Libya. Right. U.S. is evacuating their CIA army out of out of Libya. Mm. The Italians are back. Huge occupational force been evacuated uh, through Misrata. Yeah, the other thing... And India's I mean, taking know. their force out. They would not have done this if there was any chance that they could affect an offensive against the Libyan people again. So Russia's not going to allow that. So what, they, what they're doing is all these rats are leaving the, the ship, you know. Well, and the Libyan people, if you look, there's videos all over the internet uh, that show them People took with their cameras when the when the troops are coming in, when the Libyan National Army is coming in, they're standing out there hugging them and saying, thank you, God, you know, and welcome, welcome, come in, please. You know, they've been suffering for eight years with this mess. This is what they pray for. Right. They've been so suffering it's not an attack that. on civilians. It's not a civil war. They're saying, oh, Libya's having a civil war. No, that would mean the Libyans fighting against each other. Right. It's, so it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's basically Haftar who is kind of being used by the true Libyans and the, and the Libyan, actual Libyan army or the Libyan military to, you know, to kind of rally, rally troops, basically the genuine Libyan troops to push out the, the, the militias, basically, the foreigners that have been in Libya since 2011, essentially, and yes, who, are, yes. who are propping up or are the kind, of, they're the kind of irregular army for the UN-backed government, right? That's correct. Yes, yes, yeah. that's exactly right. And with a bit of hindsight now, you know, with the eight, seven or eight years since, uh, since, since Libya, since the destruction of Libya by NATO, it, it starts to look, and then what happened afterwards with, you know, with Syria primarily, it starts to look like Libya was almost planned in advance as a staging ground for what happened in Syria. It was. It, it, Libya is a staging ground for many things. I've always for said Libya things. is the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle yeah. for them because they were unloosed or uh, they were... They were allowed to do whatever they wanted to do with impunity to Libya. Right. On our DVD, there's a, a long interview with Dennis Kucinich, who was a congressman. And in that 
uh, interview, he detailed the fact that the U.S. played war games about Libya in 2010. The other thing that it, war games are planned for years in advance. Hmm. And the war games that were played in 2010, before Arab Spring ever started, there was going to be 11 battleships taken into the Mediterranean to uh, to attack an oil-rich dictatorship, and they would start off with a false with a with a no-fly zone, and then with friendlies inside the country, they would take the country over in a matter of weeks. Well, 11 ships went into to the Mediterranean on the on the war games. It was just to start on March 18th. It actually started on February 18th. Mm -hmm. So Libya was planned years and years and years in advance. And really from the time that the Libyan tribes had their bloodless coup, when they threw out the old despot king who was appointed by England to, to rule Libya. And in his rule, in his time there, the Libyan average Libyan salary was 60 dinar a year. It was the poorest, least developed country in all of Africa. And the Libyan people just had a terrible life and they, they had an uprising bloodless coup, the guy ran off, and Gaddafi was actually appointed. He was a he was a colonel in rank, but he was very charismatic, very well educated, and so he became the leader of Libya. From that day forward, the West wanted to wanted to make uh, Gaddafi step down. Whenever he asked for assistance in running the country, because they didn't have the ability to build the infrastructure and everything, he first of all went to the West. And England and the United States said, the first thing you do is you reinstall the king as the leader, and then we'll talk to you. Mm -hmm. Well, that wasn't going to happen. So Gaddafi went to the next group, and that was the Russians. Mm -hmm. And the Russians did provide support and training and everything to build Libya. And so, you know, the, the fact that Libya was attacked constantly because it's a huge yeah. natural Gaddafi, resource country. Yeah. Libya, huge. Libya was blamed for Lockerbie. They were blamed for a whole right. bunch of they never did, you know, Gaddafi hated radical Islamists. But the big point that most people never pick up on, and, and this is why you can never believe the media, and that's why I say over and over again, don't believe the media, Gaddafi was not the leader of Libya in 2011. He was required to step down by the 2006 treaty with the United States signed by Condoleezza Rice, and he did. So to make him the leader, to make him the bully, to make him the killer, it's just, they just continually do it. That's their mantra, you know? Right. And let me go, let me give you some more how they load up the lies. When um, we met a guy in Libya who was who was a professor of, of uh, Dr. Nori Dorogi, he got his doctorate in England, nuclear physicist. He was head of their atomic energy program in Libya. And they did have a nuclear enrichment program in Libya. However, it's in, in, you know, insisted by the U.S. Yeah. However, he was taken into Florida by military aircraft and the yellow cake, which is the, the uranium uh, concentrate in its first stages, was delivered to him by the U.S. Military. out of Florida, flown into Libya. The equipment to enrich the uranium was designed and built in England and the United States. So the equipment was supplied to Libya by the US, by the US and British intelligence agencies. And so Libya is, is, has this nuclear enrichment program, and then whenever Gaddafi is painted as this huge, big ogre, why he is enriching uranium. To blow up the world. This right. is the United States. So this is when, set up. This is when, when Libya was under embargo. The US went in and encouraged him to do 
enrichment of uranium and gave him the enrichment. Right. Flew him in a military, flew uh, Dr. Darogi to, to Florida. He told us himself. He said, yeah, they took me into Florida so, many times. You know, was this a planned event? Oh, yeah, it planned years in advance. Don't anybody so, ever take the... So, take the the they, fact that these Zionists are slow. No, they're a, smart. You know, these, they're way ahead of These schemes, they think about in advance, okay, we're going to give him this nuclear enrichment, then we're going to blame him for blowing up the world, and then we're going to be able to take him down because the world will hate him. For for the whole world, they built Libya to be the, the garden place of evil, and in reality, it was just the opposite. They hate, you know, radical Islamists were not allowed in Libya, period. Libya went from the least developed country in Africa to the most developed country in Africa. Salaries were $15,800 a year. That was higher than China, higher than India. When you got married, the government gave you a $46,000 gift. Each time you had a baby, the government gave you a $5,000 gift. You know, all these things that the government participated, the wealth of the country amongst all its people. Well, you couldn't have that. The, the bad guys couldn't have that. There's a, there's a new book out by uh, Dr. Boyle. Yeah, Francis, Francis Boyle, Boyle, he's a law professor. He's actually one of the few uh, professors of law that has taken on NATO and won. He took it on for uh, uh, Kosovo, Kosovo or yeah. somewhere. Right. Anyway, he's a friend of, of uh, Dorda, Abu Zaid Dorda, who was the, the UN representative for Libya in the uh, early 2000s, I think. He was also prime minister of Libya at one time. Very, very good man who was in prison for eight years in Libya simply because he did not join the revolution. And he wrote a book, and it's called the, the I can't three remember decades. the exact name. It's, it's the three-decade attack on the Gaddafi revolution. The, the, what he built, they had to attack that. They could not have that in the world stage, showing where people were enjoying their country, enjoying their wealth, enjoying their freedom, their sovereignty. They didn't want that. So, you know, he wrote this. He just released the book. Uh, you find it under Francis Boyle, but I thought it was very interesting because it's a different perspective people need to think about. You know, why was Libya so attacked? Why were they so maligned? Well, it's it's a it's a very very wealthy, incipient natural resource country, and the plan of the bad guys and they're the Khazarian mafia, they're whatever. They're going to divide Libya. France has been stealing gold concentrate out of Libya. They put in mining operations in the southern part of Libya in 2011. Nobody knew why they built that that uh, military base down there and everything. They were processing gold concentrate like crazy, and we know that they that they declared that they took out 85 million dollars worth of copper concentrate. Libya doesn't have any copper, but that was that was gold, gold. concentrate. So put how much money did they really steal? And that was only put in one year report. So they've been raping the country since since 2011. Mm -hmm. The Italians wanted to take over the part of Libya where all the natural gas production takes place because there's two natural gas ducts that go under the Mediterranean from Libya into Italy. And Italy was receiving a 25 cent per thousand cubic foot discount on all the natural gas out of Libya being delivered into Europe. The government of Berlusconi said that that, that, that uh, payment on the Libyan gas was sufficient to pay all the government costs in Italy. So Italy was going to take over the gas. England was going to take over the oil production. And so they were going to divide this the Libya up into pieces. They even had names for all the different divisions. And the Libyan tribes never wanted to do that. And so another factor in, in 
the Libyan people getting behind uh, Khalifa Haftar in face only is that he agreed to unify Libya and not allow it to be divided up into pieces. So all these countries, and now we know India was in there. The promise, I don't know what India needed out of, out of Libya, but Libya had a huge iron ore de uh, deposit. They had some pure silica in there, 100% pure, very, very rare. So uh, India had its military in there. Well, so, you know, the division of the country was, was the goal was the of plan. the bad guys. It was you know? very helpful to me that Putin, I, I read this, I haven't confirmed it myself, but there was a, at the Security Council, the UK and Qatar came forward with a resolution to re-enter Libya militarily because of this going into Tripoli, and Russia vetoed it. Right. And I, that is great news because yeah. finally some country will stand up and allow Libya to clean itself. Right. Libya will do that, but they can't if they continually are hit with these countries, like, like the tribes tell me, we have, we have no weapons. We have no way to get weapons. They won't allow us to have weapons. So if yeah. they clean their country, they become their own country again, and right. you know, they do what they need to do. Yeah, Russia seems to be making similar moves in, in Libya, maybe not to the same extent, but similar moves that it made in uh, in Syria. You know, it's kind of it's following through on its on on the precedent, I suppose it said in, in Syria, where it basically said no to the, the traditional regime change and civil war in Syria, and it's not put a break on things. Yeah, and, and no to the empire, basically no to the uh, to, to NATO and the evil empire and. Uh, and they seem to be making moves in that direction in Libya as well, saying basically, no, it's not happening here again. Yeah. Well, you know, the people of the United States don't like this warring. The evil empire is 10 square miles called Washington, D.C., right. but that does not represent the minds and the hearts of the people of the United States. No. That's that group of criminals. Right. Uh, all of them are, are bought and paid for. They are puppets of the Gazarian and, mafia. And the U.S. is a tinderbox, too, yeah. like Libya was. The people here are not happy, you know, not happy. People in Europe are not happy. As in previous shows, when we've, when we've talked, you really uh, want to generate as much support for you guys as possible because because we know you, you deserve it and, and the minute you need it, you know. So now you have a, you have a Patreon account, right? Yes. Yes. Um, we'll put a link to that in the description, but we'll... Uh, we just wanted to mention the listeners that uh, you know they should check out that link to Patreon to join and, uh, Jimmy's Patreon account and, and and seriously consider supporting them because they really do deserve it. You know because they've done a lot of work and they've been very consistent over the past seven years. The story hasn't changed; it's been consistent. And in fact, in in just very recently, the story that they've been telling for the past seven or eight years has been validated with 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 all other evidence. So um, these are these are some of the few truth tellers left. Uh, on the planet who are who have a bit of integrity left you know a lot of integrity and um and, and they deserve a lot of support so and our website too yeah you know, and your website yes shout it out there john the libyanwarthetruth.com right we put a link got the dvd but we've added a cd update that has all the nasty tricks that they've done to us since then right uh, that's free with this, the dvd yeah. purchase on our website and that's how we support ourselves from the sale of that little dvd and donations and we right. want everybody to keep us in our in their prayers because we have been protected so many times from attacks by these guys they planted drugs on our in our car and all kinds of stuff but right. keep us in your prayers and support us you know with and we thank you so much yeah. you guys because y'all got a great audience you, you have a great audience you have a great show we love you guys You're wonderful okay all right, guys. Well, listen, thanks a million Thank again. You. It's been great talking to you. And hopefully we'll talk to you again. I mean, it'd be nice to, talk, to think that we could talk to you again about uh, a 
kind of happier topic and maybe maybe we'll be able to talk about some happier times in, in Libya and then yeah, maybe, we, you we know, know it's very fluid in Libya right yeah. now so maybe in a week or two or something yeah. that we'll get back on talk maybe about. in the next few months we'll have a live event in Libya with you all there with us yeah all right why not I've got a, I've got a friend that makes Kevlar underwear so we'll all be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get me some of that stuff. Um, all right, guys, listen, thanks a million again. Um, and we'll talk to you, hopefully, we'll talk to you again pretty soon. But until then, stay safe. Okay, Thank you, you much. Too. God bless you. Thank, Thank you so much. You.